So I just want to give everybody a little heads up about how tonight's going to work. Uh, we are going to, I'm going to give a short lesson tonight, and then I'm going to have, send you to your small groups. I'm going to d- dismiss you by uh, class, because some of your uh, rooms have changed a little bit, and some of your groups have, or some of your groups have combined, and some are combining just for tonight, and so we'll go over that a little bit in a minute. But I just want to say this. Uh, some of you are here for the very first time because a friend invited you. Some of you uh, maybe got dropped off by parents. Some of you, this is your first week here. You're a freshman. You did Compass. You're kind of like figuring it out, like what's going on, and I don't know what's going on. Um, understand that that the sort of relational side of of any group you're a part of will take time. So if if you like when I was in going into youth group, I already knew so many people in my youth group. I was so excited. I was like front and center, first week. This is amazing. Some of you are just like, yeah, I don't really know anybody. It's going to take time, and I just want to encourage you that if tonight, if you leave and you're like, yeah, I don't know, that you don't just sort of go, well, it didn't work for me. That you would just give it some time. That that you would, you know, a new a new friendship, new relationships are going to take some time. So. Uh, that's sort of my expectation that, that there's going to take some time and hopefully that you'll, you know, you'll do the same thing. And you can, I could bring students up here who could say, yeah, my first time in Shig, it was super awkward. I didn't know anybody, but after I kept going, it's, it's, you know, it's been great. It's been really encouraging. So anyway, um, what we're going to be doing tonight, and again, my name is Siler. If you missed it, it's not Tyler or Skyler, it's Siler. It's, you know, you'll, you'll get it eventually, but it's like Tyler, but there's an S instead of a T. Uh, and it was my mom's maiden name, and that's why I named that, and not because of any other thing. And anyway, um, so what we're going to be looking at is something that is is kind of deep. A lot of times we start in the uh, fall, and we kind of we we do something that's maybe a little lighter. But I'm going to be l- uh, addressing a question tonight that will then help us move into a series that we're going to be looking at a little bit later on. But I was inspired uh, this summer when I was listening to a podcast. Now, you know that you've gotten old when you listen to podcasts. That's sort of how you know that you've gotten there. For me, before podcasts, I knew that I had gotten old when I started listening to talk radio. So that was before, like, when I started, like, in the car wanting to listen to talk radio, that was like, oh, I'm old now. I'm an adult. So that's how you can know. When you like talk radio and podcasts, you can realize, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm old. And I get that you're like, this is boring. Some of you, I would have thought it was totally boring when I was your age. But uh, the podcast I listen to, it's one of my favorite podcasts. I've been listening to it ever since I started listening to podcasts about 10 years ago. And um, I don't know, seven years ago, whatever it is. Anyway, it's called This American Life. It's hosted by a guy named Ira Glass. Has anybody ever heard of it? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Okay, a few of you. A couple, a couple of you out there. A couple old people. Yeah, old souls. Thank you. Um, so, uh, it's This American Life. I'm Ira Glass. He says that every time. And um, what? Pretty good. Thank you. So, I uh, highly recommend it. It's really, really interesting. He basically tells stories about This American Life, about just sort of people living their lives. And he introduced this one episode uh, by saying he was getting a ride to, um, from a place where he was speaking to the airport, and he was talking to a minister. And I was like, oh, he doesn't always talk about faith-related things. But, and so he said um, that he was listening to people talking, and he said 
the, that the two great commandments, love your neighbor as yourself, but the first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, look, I get the love your neighbor as yourself part, but what's the deal with the first part? So he says this. He's, he asked his friend um, named John, like, what's the deal with this love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Like, what is that about? He says, I told John, like, I totally get the love your neighbor as yourself part, um, but I told him I've never really understood why is it important to love God above all? Do you know what I mean? If you do what God wants and you try to be good, you try to treat others right, what difference does it make if you love God? What does God care? And he goes on to tell this story about how he went to a synagogue. He's Jewish. He doesn't really, he's not a kind of a non, non-practicing Jewish person. And he went to a synagogue where they, uh, on the anniversary of his mother's death, and he was reciting these prayers in Hebrew that he had learned when he was a kid, when he had gone through his bar mitzvah. And he just sort of found himself like, you know, and he's saying the words of the prayers say this, may his great name be exalted and sanctified, blessed and praised, glorified and exalted, extolled and honored, adored and lauded by the name, be the name of the Holy One. He says, that's what, you, that's what they have you say when your mom dies. That's comforting, isn't it? It's basically God is great over and over, building up to this beautiful line, really beautiful. It's basically God is so great. It's beyond the power of any prayer or word or song or praise. And it really hit me sitting there. What does God get out of that? Why does he want us sitting down and telling him how great he is for 45 minutes a day? Is he that needy? If some parent demanded that, that, that of their kids, okay, I want you to praise me for 45 minutes a day every single day of your life, we would know they were nuts, right? And it's like what I was saying to John, what does God care if we love him? And John had such a lovely answer. He said, first off, he thinks lots of people make the mistake of picturing God as being like us, like humans, like he's somebody who we're calling on the phone or something when we're praying. Okay, interesting, John. I kind of think that God is a being that, you know, so I, I disagree with what John says here, just spoiler alert. Um, but the way he sees it, he understands God to, be all the val- God to be all the values and principles that he sees in Scripture, the obligation to love each other, to be honest and decent in our dealings with each other. And when he's, when he's praising God, he said that's what he's praising. He's basically re-pledging himself to those principles which he loves. In other words, the literal words of the Bible, the literal words of the prayers aren't as important as that pledge, a pledge to act a certain way in the world, which is a lovely answer. And I'm sure John is a lovely person. I just disagree with how John uh, believes this. And it's funny to me that John is a minister because if you're going to be a minister, I would think that you would like have an understanding of God as a being, as someone that you're talking to, and not just as a force or as the representation of you know something along those lines. So I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I, you know, listening to the podcast, I just wanted so badly to just like reach through the podcast and be like, Ira, it's so great that you're wrestling with this, and your John is not helping you in my opinion, because uh, he's stumbling onto this thing. And the reason why I want to talk about it is I think it's actually a question that's something that, that, that I have asked, and I think it's might, maybe something I'm going to ask you if you've asked this or not, but perhaps as you have come to church, or as you have read a prayer, or as you've read maybe this passage where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you have found yourself asking this same question, like, why? Like, why, why, do, why does God need me to love him? Is there something about, you know, God that's somehow deficient that, 
like, like he's needy. Like it sounds almost like a, an insecure, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend that's just like, would you just please praise me? I'm just like, I just feel kind of like, I don't know, like how you feel about me. And um, like you haven't posted about me in a while. And um, I just like, I just feel weird, you know, like what's going on? That's not how God is, right? That's not how God is. God is not needy. God is not insecure. God does not need us to praise him. And so I think it's a fair question. I think it's a fair question to ask of, you know, of the Bible. Why is it that God says, praise me, all you peoples? Why does God say, love me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And it's similar to a question that I uh, addressed probably a year and a half ago, and if you were here and I addressed it and I'm repeating it for you, I apologize, but sometimes it's helpful when you hear things a second time. But it's, it's a similar question to, to when you run across this thing in the Old Testament, which comes up a lot, that God is jealous for his people. And we sing a worship song here sometimes called How He Loves that starts off, He is jealous for me. And I've had people ask me, like, what, what is, why is God jealous? Like, what is that about? Why is God jealous? That doesn't seem, it seems kind of petty. And like, what is it? Why is God jealous? And so the, the thing, and it's similar to this jealousy question, is similar to the question of why does God need us? And the important thing to understand about the jealousy of God is that there are two kinds of jealousy. There's a jealousy out of insecurity, and there's a jealousy out of protection. So the first kind of jealousy is when you are suspicious or resentful of a rival. So that's out of insecurity. It's out of fear. It's the most common use of the word jealousy. But that's not the kind of jealousy that's employed when we hear God talking about being jealous for his people. Rather, it's this, if you look it up in the definition, there's this actually a second definition which says it involves being earnestly vigilant in guarding or keeping something. So it's not out of insecurity, but out of concern and care and love for the protection of something or someone that you, that you love and you care about. So let me just give you two examples. So the first insecure kind of jealousy would be, let's say that my wife Heidi and I, we were, we were at Chick-fil-A having dinner with our children, and she says, uh, I, I'm just going to go grab some more Chick-fil-A sauce. And so she goes up and gets it, and she comes back, and I say, well, you were gone a long time. What, 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 what were you doing? And she says, I, I told you, I was, I was getting Chick-fil-A sauce. And I said, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it takes that long. I could, I could see exactly what you were doing. I, I know exactly what you were doing. You were, you were flirting with the, with the guy behind the counter. I could, I could totally tell. And she says, Sally, that was a 75-year-old woman. I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, no, I, so what difference does that make? Why didn't you ask me for Chick-fil-A sauce? Like, am I not enough? Am I not enough for you? What's going on here? Uh, Siler, you don't have any Chick-fil-A sauce. That's why I had to go. So I don't, I don't understand what's going on. And I break down and I'm just crying. And then the cow comes out and he comforts me, you know. That would be a jealousy out of insecurity. There's another kind of jealousy. So picture this scenario. So it's, it's 10 o'clock at night, okay? And Heidi and I are, are getting ready to go to bed and, and her phone rings. Now imagine for a moment that she happened to be childhood friends with Bradley Cooper, okay, of 
of A Star Is Born fame, right? Just imagine that they just happened to like go to the same high school and they're like really good friends. They never dated in high school, but they were just really tight, okay? And so the phone rings and it's Bradley. And she's like, oh, hang on, it's, it's Bradley. Let me, I, don't, I don't know why he's calling. It's, I'll just take this. And so they talk and, um, and then I, I hear him talking to Heidi and then she got off the phone and she says, oh yeah, that was, that was Bradley. He just, he was telling me that stuff with his, with his girlfriend isn't really going very well and he's, He's really upset right now. He just needs someone to talk to. And um, so he just, he asked me if I would come over. And um, so I'm just, I'm just going to go. And, um, oh, he said he was also having a hot tub party. So I'm just going to grab my bathing suit. And um, I'll just, I'll, you don't need to wait up for me. Just, 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 you know, it's, it's fine. You, you can just go to bed. Now, understandably in that moment, because Bradley Cooper is really, really good looking, and, uh, and they're, you know, in this analogy, they're, they're good friends, and he's just broken up with his girlfriend, and he was going to now pour out his heart to my wife. I would be jealous for her because I don't want, you know, this homewrecker, Bradley Cooper. I'm actually kind of mad at Bradley right now. Um, I don't want this guy wrecking our marriage. And so it would be entirely appropriate for me out of love for her and for our relationship to say, I don't want you to go there because we have a covenant. We got married and and I want to protect you and I want to protect me. I want to protect our relationship. And I'm worried that if you go there, you know, you will, you will do something that you regret. This is all, this is nothing that my wife would ever, ever, ever do, if you know my wife. Anyway, so just, just so you know. Uh, but when God says that he's jealous for his people and he wants them to stay away from idols, which is what we see here. So in, in Exodus 20, if you want to, you know, sort of look at this, look this up later. Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. It's because, you know, you're like, the jealous thing kind of throws you at the end a little bit, because you're like, you're jealous again, what's going on? Well, what's going on is he is, God is fervent for the relationship that he wants to have with his people, and the fact that God is a jealous God is a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. Because he knows that the relationship that he wants to have with us is so important. And what's this deal with the idols thing? So what's idolatry? Some of you might think when, you, when, when, when God says, don't make yourself an idol because I'm a jealous God. I don't want you to worship them. I want you to worship me. He, idols, we think of idols as like some, something that you would carve and that you would worship. Which you're like, yeah, I don't do that. Right. But idols... Today, what we're talking about with idols is anything that we value more than God. And there's another verse that you can look up later. It's Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So he says that greed, which is wanting material possessions that are not yours, is a form of idolatry because... It's putting things before God. It's a lack of trust that God is not enough, which is what idolatry is. It's being unwilling to trust that God is enough for you, going to other places to do that, which we do every day. And the tricky part about idols is that 
they tend to come in the form of God's blessings. There's a, a guy named Justin McRoberts who has a song. He talks about this concept. Concept. He says, free me from these binds, Lord. I'm choking on the gifts this world gives. Jesus, I'm waiting for your love. That line has stuck with me for the last 20 years. Free me from these binds, Lord. I'm, I'm choking on the, on the gifts this world gives. There, there's a lot of gifts that we get in this world. And, and sometimes I'm a little frustrated because I'm like, God, why do you give us so many good gifts? And then we start worshiping the good gifts instead of worshiping you. At some point, we have to recognize that we are to worship the giver and not the gifts. And it's so easy to get that confused. It's when we worship the gifts that we become unsatisfied. We realize that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't ultimately satisfy us. And so the reason that God wants, is jealous for us and the reason that God wants us to worship him is not because he's needy. It's not because he's a, like a jealous girlfriend who's like, or boyfriend who's like, you know, what's going on? It's because his jealousy is, is ultimately for our good. It's for our good that says, when you worship me, your life will work the way it's supposed to work. When you put me first, when you look around at the world full of gifts and say, thank you, God, for that gift. Thank you, God, for that gift. Thank you, God, for that gift. I'm not going to worship these gifts. I'm going to worship the giver of the gifts because there's days when we don't have good gifts. There's days when we, the good gifts kind of go away and we're, we're, we're having, you know, our, we're, we're frustrated and we're wondering why things don't work. And if we only trust in our gifts and if we only worship our gifts, they will fail us. There will be days when they don't go the way we wanted them to go. And those days, sometimes it's, it's when it's easier to realize that, that God is what we need. So if I was to answer uh, Ira Glass, if I had a chance to sit down with him and talk to him about, you know, uh, I wish I was the one driving him to the airport. Um, he didn't call me. He has my number. He could have texted me. But anyway, um, he, he doesn't, just for, you know, that's, that's sarcasm. Sometimes people don't get my sarcasm. I don't know Ira Glass. But when we worship him, God wants us to worship him, not because he's insecure, but because when we worship him, we get the greatest joy we could possibly get. When we praise God, when we worship God, we aren't just pledging ourselves to live a certain way. That's basically pretending like God isn't real. Like, it's not, it's not just that God is this, you know, he's not a person or not a being, but just sort of is the best of, the, I, I, that's, not, that's not what the Bible says, and it's not my experience. God is a, is a real person. He is the creator. He is the greatest good. He is the ultimate expression of love in the world, in the universe. And when we, are, when we praise him, we are agreeing that he is where we find true joy and true sustenance. And, and when it, it's how we can realize that when we focus only on our friendships and sort of put our faith in our friendships only and they let us down because they always do, we realize, yeah, I've kind of made this an idol. I've been worshiping this instead. 
and it, it doesn't make me happy. When we put our, our identity in our possessions, in our stuff, and then we realize we, we, only, we just kind of need more stuff and we need more stuff. When we put our, our hope and our identity in our extracurricular activities or where we're going to go to college or whatever it is, ultimately it fails us. And what God is saying is, when you trust me to be the best and the ultimate, and um, when you worship me, that's when you can actually enjoy my gifts as they're intended to be enjoyed. And that's when you can live, have the freedom to live the life that God wants you to live. And that's why we, the cross of Jesus Christ is at the center of all that we do because he was the ultimate expression of God. God, the Bible says that, that, that in him dwells the fullness of the presence of God. So when you look at Jesus, you know what God looks like. And Jesus, who could have had anything he wanted, and the devil tempted him with all the earthly things he could have, he said no to earthly temptations, and he said yes to the, to the life that God called him to, and he ultimately gave his life on our behalf so that we could find life, so that we could have life. And um, next week, I'm going to unpack this a little bit more about uh, what it means for us to put God first and, and what we get out of putting God first. Um, we're going to wrap up with one final song tonight if the band wants to make their way forward. And as I'm wrapping up, um, we're going to sing a song that's called Your Glory. And the words of your glory are... Um, the chorus is, your glory is so beautiful. I've, I, I never, I mean, the idea of God's glory, is it's, it's a challenging one. It's a difficult one to sort of understand. But when we agree that the glory of God is the best thing ever, it's kind of like, when you're rooting for a team that always wins, okay? There isn't a team that we know of, even teams that go on great runs, they win all the time. You know, even the New England Patriots lose Super Bowls, right? They win a bunch, but they lose some. The Bulls won six and eight years in the 90s, but they, you know, eventually they lost. Every team loses. But imagine a team that always wins. When you are joining God's team... You know, again, if you're not into sports, you're, you're, I'm, I'm losing you here. But imagine even any time you've won something, that feeling of winning, right? Like, especially if you've been down and you, and you win. Like, man, when, when, when the Cubs won the World Series, I mean, it was like otherworldly. I never thought it would happen. This just incredible excitement. That's probably the closest thing I could say to what it is to when we say that God's glory is, the, is greatest— we get to be a part of the winningest team ever. That feeling of, of we did it, we won, is, is what God wants us to feel when we say that your glory is so beautiful. We get to share in that. When, you, we, we, when we cheer on a team and we, I didn't do anything 
for the Cubs to win the World Series. I just watched it happen. But I got to experience it. A victory was, 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 was won on my behalf because I was a Cubs fan. The victory that Jesus enjoyed over death was won on your behalf. So you get to be a part of it. So when you are praising God's glory, that is, that is a sharing in this victory that Jesus won for us over death. And we get to be a part of that. And that's why God wants us to worship him so that we get to share in the goodness of being on his side now and forever. Let's pray.